From Astoria to the Rockaways, it's time for the Queen's New Yorker. And here is the man giving you all the info, your uber snazzy and jazzy host, Mr. Jason DeCanio! Nice to be back with you again, and uh, thank you very much, Jason Kelly, for that great welcome. And of course, welcome back to another edition of the Queens New Yorker. It is Tuesday, January twelfth, twenty twenty one. This is episode one hundred and fifty nine, part four. Right now, into the conclusion of the Lincoln Tunnel. Yes, 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 yes. Oh yeah. They'll, they'll be <laughs> they'll be happy about that. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yes. The series on bridges and tunnels is coming to an end as of today. Uh, we have spanned a lot of episodes on this series, but you got to remember that with all series of specific topics in this series we have looked at so much history so much information and it's very valuable information and it wouldn't be valuable if we didn't report on it and take it in and ingest it like we did today so i want to first uh say that um last week I had done the Queens New Yorker on the um, Tuesday, January 5th, and I didn't do any further episodes from that point on. And I took some bereavement time to mourn the loss of my father, Mark Joseph DeCanio, who passed away over nine days ago on the 3rd of January, this past uh, January 3rd, uh, nine days ago. Uh, unfortunately, the... Uh, the body of his uh, of his life his life is now buried in the Philippines, so I will not have access to visiting the body, nor any of that point. What I am working on is trying to get to be the executive of his estate because he has no will. So I'm in the process of working on that, but rest assured that my briefment time is over, and I'm back here fully now giving you. Full-fledged episodes, including uh, the show that we're doing called the Decanio Discussion that's on Mixcloud. And I would like everybody to go over there. I will definitely put a link in like I do. I'm putting links back and forth to the show so that way you have opportunities to listen to the Decanio Discussion. There's some great topics. And to let you know that tomorrow on the show, on episode number four, we're going to be looking at big things. Big as in... Large, humongous, 
it's a show you might actually want to take into consideration. All right? Now, before we get to the part four of the Lincoln Tunnel, let's look at our sweating of the small stuff today. Don't sweat the small stuff. And here's what uh, this uh, quote has to say today. So rather than jumping right in and saying, once I did the same thing or guess what I did today, bite your tongue and notice what happens. Just say, that's wonderful. Or please tell me more and leave it at that. The person you are speaking to will have so much more fun and because you are listening so carefully, they won't feel in competition with you. Pretty good advice. All right. And, of course, we'll give you sweating of the small stuff on this show and all the shows that we do from here on out. Okay? So let's go now to the fourth and final part of the Lincoln Tunnel. And that is picking up where we left off from the Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia, starting off with the third tube in planning and controversy. So in 1949, due to increased traffic demand, New Jersey Governor Alfred E. Driscoll Driscoll suggested building a third crossing under the Hudson River. And he met with the Port Authority's Board of Commissioners and told them that the Holland and Lincoln tunnels had now reached their full capacity of 15 million annual vehicles apiece. Though the Port Authority noted that the Lincoln Tunnel had only seen 11.1 million vehicles in the past year. The same year, the Port Authority conducted a study of 135,000 motorists who used Hudson River crossings, and it found that much of the traffic on the Holland and Lincoln Tunnels could be lessened if another tunnel between New Jersey and Midtown Manhattan were built either north or south of the Lincoln Tunnel. Now, in May of 1950... The Port Authority's commissioners authorized an engineering study for an additional tube to the Lincoln Tunnel. Now, if built, the third tube would be located to the south of the two existing tubes, and it would contain two additional lanes at a cost of $60 million. The Port Authority also began a study on whether local streets near the Lincoln Tunnel's existing approaches could accommodate traffic from a third tube. In February of 1951, Port Authority Chairman Austin J. Tobin announced that traffic across the Hudson River had increased to a point where the construction of a third tube would soon be necessary. The next month, the Port Authority commissioners gave their approval to preliminary plans for the third tube, which was expected to cost $85 million and be completed by 1957, barring total war. The project would also involve extending the Dyer Avenue approach on the Manhattan side southward from 34th Street to 30th Street. The Port Authority gave its approval to the construction process itself in May of 1951, although the approval of New York City, New York State, and New Jersey officials was still needed. The New York City Planning Commission rejected the initial plans for the third two project in August of 1951 because it felt that the existing tunnel approaches could not sufficiently manage all of the traffic from a third tube. But it scheduled a meeting for September, during which the Port Authority could argue in favor, favor of its proposal. The city's construction coordinator, Robert Moses, also opposed the third tube. And Tobin pointed out that the only major opposition the Port Authority had received was from Moses. Manhattan Borough President Robert F. Wagner Jr. was among the New York City officials who supported the plans. Now, in September, after the Port Authority and the City Planning Commission convened to discuss the plans, 
The Planning Commission rejected the third two plans for a second time, calling them fundamentally deficient. Despite this, this, despite this disagreement, the Port Authority released contracts for test bores the same month. <clears throat> the dispute continued through the end of the year, and by December, the Port Authority had to cancel a $10 million contract for cast iron tunnel segments because the city had refused to approve the tunnel plans. The city wanted the Port Authority to build, a, uh, to build part of a proposed mid-Manhattan expressway above 30th Street from 8th Avenue to the west side elevated highway near 12th Avenue. This recommendation was very similar to one that had been made five years prior. However, the City Planning Commission immediately rejected this proposed solution. And by January, as the Lincoln Tunnel dispute became protracted, the, pro the Port Authority was willing to build a separate tunnel, although altogether at a cost of $200 million. The New York City Board of Estimate pushed back a proposed vote on the Lincoln Tunnel from March to May of 1952. By June, a compromise had been worked out and the city had given its assent to the new tube. And although the Port Authority was no longer obligated to construct a mid-Manhattan expressway, it did agree to widen 30th Street between 10th and 12th Avenues and to provide ramps between the tunnel and the West Side Highway. <clears throat> the New York City government quickly moved to approve street upgrades on their side of the tunnel. By this point, the Weehawken, New Jersey government, had also started to raise concerns about street improvements on their side. However, there were no other major obstacles to starting construction. The first contract for the third tube's construction, a bid for digging the ventilation shafts, was awarded in August of 1952. Groundbreaking ceremony for the third tube, marking the start of official construction on that tube, was held the next month at the Manhattan side's future ventilation shaft. Sand hogs began digging the tunnel from that end. Now, the Port Authority awarded its first material contract for the third tube, a $10 million order of steel tunnel segments from Bethlehem Steel in October of 52. It also evicted 900 families from 70 buildings to make way for the new tube's approaches. The next month, the agency ordered 1.2 million bolts and washers to secure the tunnel segments. The Port Authority planned to finance the third tube's construction with a consolidated bond offering of $500 million, which would be dispersed among other Port Authority projects as well. An initial bond offering of $35 million was made in December of 1952, and the Port Authority later borrowed $20 million to finance this offering. Contract to dig the actual bore under the river was awarded in October of 1953. Weehawken's government still held a negative attitude toward the Lincoln Tunnel digging work and in June of 1953 ordered policemen to arrest workers who were bringing equipment into the tunnel under the pretense that the tunnel lacked a building permit. Well, in response, the Port Authority obtained a writ from a Hudson County, New Jersey judge who allowed to work to proceed and force the Weehawken government to explain its legal reasoning for blocking the tube's construction. A committee of New Jersey politicians was convened to determine how much the Port Authority should pay the town of Weehawken for land acquisition. Representatives and residents of Weehawken wanted more compensation than what the Port Authority was willing to offer. And on March 16, 1954, 
The Supreme Court of New Jersey ordered that work on the third tube to be halted because it was tantamount to bring a brand new crossing rather than an addition to an existing crossing. However, the New Jersey legislature voted to allow the resumption of work on the tunnel, while the New York State legislature finally gave formal authorization for the Port Authority to build the tube. Now, eight days after the New Jersey Supreme Court's stop work order, construction resumed on the tube. The township of Weehawken agreed to tax the tunnel at a lower price than what it was originally asking. A contract for a ventilation building on the New York side above 38th Street, east of 12th Avenue, was let in June of 1954. That September, the Port Authority opened the contract for the renovation of the New Jersey side's tunnel plaza, which would have to be rebuilt in order to accommodate the new tunnel portal. Since the existing administration buildings were located in the path of the third tube's approach, the same month, the Port Authority published plans for an 800-space parking complex on the New Jersey side. This parking lot opened in November of 1955, 14 months later. Meanwhile, Sandhogs began digging the tunnel from a 55-foot deep pit on the New Jersey side with plans to connect that bore with the tunnel being dug from the New York side at a point 95 feet under the Hudson River. The pieces for a pressurized digging shield were hoisted into the New Jersey construction pit in late September of 1954, and the completed shield began digging toward New York a month and a half later. In February of 1955, the Port Authority awarded contracts for widening the New Jersey side's loop approach from six to seven lanes, as well as a second contract for widening the North Bergen New Jersey Express Highway from six to eight lanes and a third for a new toll plaza at the bottom of the loop approach. By this time, it was projected that a new Hudson River crossing might need to be built north of the Lincoln Tunnel by the 1960s. The boring operation from the New Jersey side had crossed eastward into the state border by October of 1955. Work on the tube was temporarily stopped in January of 1956 after water from the Hudson River leaked into the New York side of the tunnel. Almost immediately after the tube had been pumped dry, workers went on strike for a week, even though the ends of the bores were only about 350 feet away from being connected. So construction was further disrupted by an air leakage on the New York side in May and, and the contractors' strike in June. June 28, 1956, the two sides were finally holed through by the respective governors of each state. Now, at this time, the last of the tube's 2,031 cast iron rings had been laid, and contractors then began placing tiles along the surface of the tube. By November, the tube was nearly completed. And to accommodate the traffic for the new tube, the Port Authority opened the Lincoln Tunnel Expressway south to 30th Street in February of 1957. The third tube opened on May 25, 1957, to the south of the original two tunnels. It cost $94 million, 6% less than projected. The tube itself had only cost $44 million, but the approaches cost $23 million and other costs made up the remaining $27 million. The third tube's opening made the Lincoln Tunnel the world's first tunnel with three separate parallel tubes. Unlike with the previous two tubes, which had killed a total of 15 workers, no one had been killed during the construction of the third tube. At this time, 
The center tube was converted back to a bi-directional tube while the new third tube became eastbound only. <clears throat> the center tube could be used for unidirectional traffic during peak hours, doubling capacity in the peak direction. A traffic light system was instituted for the center tube to indicate whether a given direction could use one or both lanes. A new 18-booth toll plaza was inaugurated on the left side, collecting tolls on the left-hand driver's side of each lane. This replaced the previous right-handed 12-booth plaza, which connected tolls from the passenger side and was thus expected to speed traffic. The agency also inaugurated two extra ventilation buildings, which would filter air from the new tube. And due to increased traffic loads, the New York City government released plans to widen nearby streets later that year. Well, as traffic increased through the tubes, the Port Authority tried various methods to mitigate tunnel congestion. February of 1957, it started training spotters to look at traffic on the Manhattan side's tunnel approaches from the 35th floor of 330 West 42nd Street, located nearby. The Port Authority started using two-way radios in mid-1958. 66 to 67, the Port Authority installed closed-circuit television systems to monitor and control the spacing of traffic in the Lincoln and Harlan tunnels. Port Authority officers observed Lincoln tunnel traffic from a control center on the New Jersey side. Patrolmen were stationed within each tube to watch out for stalled vehicles, and a computerized system also monitored, monitored traffic flows in each tube. In December of 1970, the Port Authority tested out an exclusive bus lane for one year, and it became so popular that the bus lane was later made permanent. In 71, the elephants of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. The animals were normally taken via railroad, but a labor strike had suspended all rail service to Madison Square Garden. The elephants started walking through the Queens Midtown Tunnel instead of the Lincoln Tunnel starting in 81, and the elephant walk ceased altogether when the elephants were retired in 2016. Originally, the northern and center tubes were paving, paved using bricks, while the southern tube contained an asphalt surface. The brick road surfaces began to deteriorate over time, and in 67 and 68, the northern and center tubes were repaved with asphalt. By 71, Lincoln Tunnel was carrying 32 million vehicles per year. From the Lincoln Tunnel's opening until 1970, the Port Authority chain or charged the same flat rate toll of 50 cents in each direction. Westbound tolls were removed since 1970, and the tolls for eastbound drivers were doubled to offset the loss of the westbound tolls. The Port Authority started repaving the Lincoln Tunnel center tube in the early 1980s in preparation for a renovation of the Holland Tunnel that was slated to start in 1984. Due to the renovations project, the Holland Tunnel's tubes would be closed one at a time for two and a half years, and traffic would be diverted to the Lincoln Tunnel. After the Holland Tunnel renovation was done, the Lincoln Tunnel's north and south tubes would be repaved. Each repaving was set to cost $10 million. The repair work on the Lincoln Tunnel's center tube cost $2 million more than projected and took five times as long as initially estimated because repaving only occurred at night. In 1989, during the rehabilitation and repaving of the Northern Tube, a computerized traffic control center was built in the administration building on the New Jersey side, which allowed a tunnel controller inside the building to remotely control the flow of traffic to, from, and through the Lincoln Tunnel. 
The computerized system was connected to 73 cameras that captured video of the entirety of the three tubes. Cell phone service was added to the tubes in 1995 as part of the $1.2 million project funded by the telecommunications company Cellular One. Now, a major overhaul of the center tube started in 1996 at a cost of $53 million. The construction included replacing tiles, wire ducts, curbs, doors, and other infrastructure. The same year, the Port Authority Board also voted to renovate the toll plaza for $42 million. After the September 11 attacks in 2001, drivers with no passengers were temporarily banned from going through the Lincoln Tunnel during weekday mornings due to traffic gridlock that resulted from the collapse of the World Trade Center. This ban was partially repealed in April of 2002. So on September 8, 1953, two armed men attempted to rob a home in South Orange, New Jersey when they were chased off by residents, one of whom reported their car's license plate number. Now a patrolman at the Lincoln Tunnel's toll booth tried to stop the car, but the robbers shot at police, hitting a Port Authority policeman in the leg. The policeman commandeered a delivery truck and gave chase, exchanging 28 shots with the fleeing car while weaving in and out of traffic. The vehicle came to a stop about three-quarters of the way through the tunnel after one of the robbers had been shot in the head. The delivery truck driver was later honored for his role in chasing the attempted robbers, and the patrolmen involved were also honored. The Lincoln Tunnel was used several times by more criminal suspects trying to escape the police. In 1956, a motorist whose car had been taken by police stole his own car in Manhattan, then sped through the Lincoln Tunnel and opened fire on pursuing police before being stopped on the George Washington Bridge. 1967, two bank robbery suspects were traveling through the tunnel when they were enclosed on either side by the police. (laughs) And due to its status as one of the few connections between Manhattan and New Jersey, the Lincoln Tunnel is considered to be one of the most high-risk terrorist target sites in the United States. Other such sites in New Jersey include the Holland Tunnel and the Path Station at Exchange Place, both of which are in Jersey City, as well as the Port of Newark in Elizabeth. In 1995, 10 men were convicted of a bombing plot in which a radical Islamic group plotted to blow up five or six sites in New York City, including the Holland and Lincoln Tunnels and the George Washington Bridge. And there you have it, folks. The wonderful history of the Lincoln Tunnel! Oh, yes. Thank you very much. All righty. Well, that'll about do it for us on this edition of the Queen's New Yorker. We thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you have learned a lot since this series started. And we hope that you will continue to be with us on the next series, which starts this Thursday with 
a look at the first of the three airports in the five boroughs, including New Jersey. We're going to be looking at John F. Kennedy Airport. That's right. It should be a fun show. That'll be episode number 160. I'm Jason DeCanio. Remember, be honest, be real, keep it simple, stupid. Kiss on the Queens, New Yorker, right here on Anchor. Have a great day. We'll see you on Thursday. Bye-bye. You have been watching The Queen's New Yorker. This is Jason Kelly on a Jason DeCanio internet presentation. Thank you for your support.